episode eight of Rosendagger Podcast. Today I had the extreme pleasure to speak to Mr. Clark North. Clark's been tattooing since the late 70s, although he didn't really get his big break into the tattoo world as a full-time tattooer until the early 90s. Uh, we speak on Japanese tattooing, and we also discuss uh, the state of tattooing and his upbringings as far as his mentors and what really got him into tattooing. So I hope you enjoy Hey Clark, how's it going? Hey, good. How about you? Not too bad. How are you doing today? How we're doing good. We're yeah. just uh, on some boxes and stuff that are in the garage while we got this chance to not work for a while. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule to uh, chat with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. I've been a, a great admirer of your work for many years so it's a real treat well thank you thank you uh, appreciate how you've been handling the uh i guess the lockdown in a sense <laughs> yeah it um it started happening with me before um the governor told us we couldn't work maybe eight nine days before because um i had clients start canceling appointments so okay and then, and then my wife, she got laid off, uh, yeah, about nine or ten days after. I was already having all my appointments canceled, so I guess it's been maybe three weeks for her and maybe four and a half or five, something like that. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty wild. I don't think, uh, I don't think we've, ever, we've never seen anything like this before, so it's, uh, it's definitely wild for everybody to uh, try to adapt. I mean, even the government, who most people don't, don't care for, but... It's probably still a, it's probably still a, a crazy thing for them to even try to uh, wrap their heads around. So yeah, and it'll pass. I mean, it'll normal normalize. Exactly. Yeah. Have you found yourself so. keeping pretty busy during this time, or? Um. Yeah, we've been spending more time with each other, just chilling stuff. You know, like um, mostly cleaning. Cleaning the garage, organizing, going through old photos. And, uh, and, yeah. I've been keeping an yeah. eye on you on your uh, Instagram. You see, you're uh, you're quite the guitar, yeah. quite the guitar player. I've been, yeah, I've been playing playing guitar every day, so yeah. that's nice <laughs> for me, not for everybody else in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big Al Green fan, so when I seen you put up a couple videos with some uh, Al Green guitar, I thought it was a uh, thought it was great. Oh, yeah, I I love uh, like the old style rhythm and blues, mm-hmm. the soul music from right around that era, seventy two, seventy three, yeah. and and uh, yeah, it's always been something that I've played around with on the guitar. So I was in bands uh, back in the early 80s late 70s early 80s but that was that was the all original stuff just our own yeah but yeah playing other people's songs is where I learned like whenever anybody asks me um how what's what do I what do I suggest they do to learn to play guitar Mm because yeah I get I get that 
that question a lot. I'm like, just learn songs, yep. learn a hundred songs, and then you'll 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 know how to play. And then after that, learn another thousand songs, and then pretty soon you can just play. Oh, for sure, man. <laughs> so yeah. with uh, with all this going on, I mean, we don't really have an uh, an immediate time frame when this is all going to end. How do you think uh, the the tattoo world is going to uh, handle this? Do you think uh, think it's going to be a good? Yeah, my son, my son tattoos, um, uh, and um, he didn't have any money set aside when this happened. So he's um, he's, he's getting support from uh, my wife and I, and his his mom. And his stepdad, he's getting support uh, while he's not able to work. So, yeah, but he's stressed and he's like um, worried that as soon as the ban is from working is lifted, that mm-hmm. people aren't going to be spending money. Well, they're not going to be spending money on tattoos, probably. You know, not the tattoo is a is a uh, an outside pleasure. It's not a necessity. So. Mm-hmm. Right now, everybody's money's strapped, so, but things happen. I mean, every year as a tattooer, you, you have low seasons and busier seasons. You always have to save your money for the slow seasons, so luckily, that's kind of what I've always done. So. Yeah, I've but, uh, I saw that your son, uh, Cameron, was a, a tattooer. I yeah. kind of looked into his work. He's a super, super solid tattooer. His work is great. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, he's he's um, he's uh, he's doing great, and he's got um, embraced by uh, a bunch of good people, a good, a good crew, a good shop. He works at Chrome Gypsy, for, uh, awesome for uh, Clean Rock, yeah, Clean Rock shop. So, oh, okay, right on. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's the hardest thing when you first start out. Like this is his sixth year as a tattooer. Yeah, I I taught him for close to a year. And then, uh, and then since then he's you know worked at different shops. And I always told him the hardest thing to do is to find um, a crew that you work well with. You know, it's all it's all personalities, and if personalities clash, then you you just need to keep moving around until you find a good shop. Yeah. So he's in a good shop right now. So he's you, you need you need street uh, you know street business people that that. They go to your shop, uh, a busy shop, you know what I mean? Because he, he sees me, well, his whole life I've been tattooing, but, but he sees me and I'm, I've got people coming to me to get tattooed and I don't have to have a street shop. I don't have a sign. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, just work privately, but, you know, I, I work five days a week, but it's private and I don't have to wait for somebody to a stranger to come, you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And that's, that's why it's so important for him to be in a good shop to be able to bring him street street business. Yeah. So you kind of got the ball rolling when he first started uh, tattooing, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I taught him at my shop for a while, and then he went to um, Rick's. Rick, um... Rick and him connived behind my back, and he, he Rick hired him without even <laughs> talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even done teaching him yet. And then Rick's all, all finished, and then so he worked well for a year, and I think that was a good one because uh, Rick is a, a was a, a mean boss. 
you know. <laughs> so it, it did, and I think, teach him a lot. As, as far as being Rick's friend, it's completely different. Cameron's always been, like, one of Rick's grandkids, you know, yeah. treated like a family member, and then all of a sudden Rick's his boss, and it was different. And I, I thought that was important, too, you know. You need to, you have to, you know, realize that it's a, it's a fucking job. I mean, it made Cameron really take it a lot more serious than he was. I can imagine. Um, yeah. Yourself, uh, where are you tattooing out of? Like, where where do you call home? Uh, my my shop. I I have a private shop. There's um, it's it's literally just a hole in the wall yeah. in a in a office building type thing. It's not an office office building, but anyways, it's just a little private place. Mm-hmm. Got a little reception area and tattoo room, bathroom, and then that's it. And uh, I lock the door while I'm working. Just uh, my clients, you know, they have to be naked a lot. They do want the privacy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cause you do a lot of yeah. you do a lot of large scale stuff, eh? Like uh, Japanese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Luckily, knock on wood. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? It's like it's what I love. It's what I've always loved. And so, well, beautiful. Conceptually, and, it's 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 beautiful. Like just. It's, it flows with the body so well. Like I, I kind of look back to people like Maud Wagner and Betty Broadbent, like the very like full scale, like yeah. body suits and stuff. And I see you do a lot of of ladies, and it's just it's really cool to see that that uh, evolution yeah. of of how where it's come from. And it's uh, yeah, it's a trip. Of, I, I think that um, these days I don't think a lot of younger people realize or know that. Um, the pictorial tattoo, the, the tattoo that, you know, you take a painting or a picture or a poster on the wall and you take that and put it on the body. Well, that's, that's the Japanese tattoo. And mm-hmm. that's what they started doing in the around 1830s is when they really started doing it a lot where it became less tribal, you know? And um, so to take a picture, pictorial tattooing and put it on the body and then the Japanese, they... I don't know. They have an eye for flow, so it's it's beautiful on the body. It's like wearing real fine clothing tailored just for you, and it's all hand painted. It feels like that instead of instead of maybe collecting a lot of things and just putting them wherever they fit. Yeah, I think that's a big big difference. Yeah, it's uh, funny you say that because I'm kind of one of those guys. I grew up close to Jerry Swallow's shop. I got the you know the traditional tattoos wherever I traveled as well but when I was in Tokyo yeah. when I was in Tokyo last year I was in Horiyoshi's shop and we were about to get tattooed and there was a gentleman he took his shirt off and he had the full panels and it's the first time yeah. I got, the first time I saw it and it was breathtaking when you see it in person, it's different yeah it's, it's, it's a, so different than seeing photos when you see it in person it's, it's almost mind-blowing Oh, my wife and I, our eyes were bugging out because he's never seen it before, and he just he gladly took his shirt off and showed us his the two panels he had in the front and with the uh, with the uh, skin break in the in the middle there, and and then he had the full yeah. back full back piece, and it was uh, yeah. it was something. It was a uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, when I was a little kid, um, the tattoos that I um, saw were on my my mom my mom and dad. I don't know. They had some sort of a relationship that was. I don't know, weird. <laughs> Anyways, he had 
girlfriends, nighttime girlfriends. My mom had daytime boyfriends. Anyway, she had this, um, her boyfriend was a, uh, a hell's angel. He was fully tattooed. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when I was three, four years old, that was the, the tattoos that, you know, I saw. I didn't think it was, I was too young to think it was different or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just, a, you know, normal. Men are, men have tattoos. And he was, he was covered in the traditional, traditional American, and uh, yeah, that's where I, that's where it caught my eye, and that's where I started drawing tattoos when I was literally four years old. Was when that was all. Oh wow! And yeah, he introduced to me. I mean, yeah, he even showed me how to poke in a tattoo when I was five. <laughs> so yeah. it was traditional until I was eleven. The traditional American was all I knew. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, I still love it, and it's still like my first passion. But when I was eleven, I was in a magic store, and so when I was eleven, it would have been nineteen seventy four. So nineteen seventy four, I was in this magic store, and the the store used to sell um, tattoo transfers, decal, you know, but they went on your skin. It actually stayed on until you scrubbed it off with rubbing alcohol. It would stay on there and look like a real tattoo for like a week. And the magic store, they sold those, but they weren't selling traditional American tattoos. They were selling big Japanese tattoos, Mm -hmm. like 15-inch koi's and peonies and just big Japanese tattoos. So, I just, it was just a place in the neighborhood to hang out, you know? I'd go down to the 7-Eleven and buy some candy and walk around and end up in the magic store looking around. And the owner there, he was, he was nice to me. Once, you know, once, of course, he got to know that I was feeling shit, I was just bored. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I saw the guys that brought him the decals, and they were Japanese men. And I was kind of in the back, but I remembered hearing him um, ask if he could and I kind of was in a spot where I don't know if he knew I was there or if, you know, I don't even know. But he did go lock the door. I was inside. I was just looking around the corner, and they did. They took off their shirts and their pants and stood there with their arms folded up behind their head while he was walking around them. And I was like, I've never seen anything like that. They were body suits. And one of them had the pulse. Suit, uh, with no river in the front, no open skin in the front, and uh, one of them had um, the open river and short sleeves, and then another one, he only had a back piece, which, those three, which is, I think that, you know, obviously they were in the 60s and 70s, they were connected with the Yakuza at the time, mm-hmm. so I found out later, you know, the, the one with the most tattoos is basically the boss of the one like you're not allowed to have more tattoos than your boss, basically. Wow, I and I saw a, I, I saw a guy with a full suit that day, so I have no idea who he was or anything. <laughs> but learning things, you know, later on, it's like, well, I saw I saw one of the one of the bosses. That was interesting concept. <laughs> yeah, I think for so long the the Japanese kind of like veered away from tattooing and talking about it or showing it because of the yakuza but uh, even last year when i went the 
the day before I yeah. left at a temple, they had a big uh, festival, and there were like dozens and dozens of guys in the street, no pants and shirts, with yeah. you know, traditional uh, and that's a, the garment on. Yeah, that. that's. A, and if you were in an area where they had tattoos, like um, I've heard that they they don't allow tattoos in a lot of the. Um, you know, each each area has its own part of that festival, and a lot of them have veered away from tattoos. And it, it's been the one time when those guys could show their tattoos proudly and, you know, not be, I don't know what, uh, chastised, maybe? I don't even know. Yeah, so. but I've, heard, I've heard that the reason that the Japanese have always, you know, our generation... Our experience is the Japanese have always connected the tattoos with the Yakuza. And I've heard that that started from the movie, um, the gangster movies in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And and then I've heard that that's what swayed the public into, well, if you're heavily tattooed, then you're a criminal. But also I've met Japanese people that say that it's, just um, a misconception and um, the movies ruined it you know mm -hmm. so the movies made people think that you're criminal if you're tattooed but then of course a lot of people don't get tattooed because they don't want to be associated with that so my understanding is before the 1940s you know during the 1930s and 20s and the 1800s it was not only crime you know it was just like in America you know that People like tattoos. Criminals do. Bankers do. Whatever. So it, it did change, and I understand that it changed mainly because of the movies. But I don't know 100%. I didn't grow up there, and I don't, you know, I didn't experience it. Uh, when you first started tattooing in the in the late 70s, uh, mm -hmm. how did you get your, your start doing that? Like, what's uh, what kind of piqued your interest at you? Knowing that well, tattooing was something you, you cared for, care to do. It, it it literally happened from what I was talking about earlier. Ever since I was three, four years old, um, I liked tattoos. And um, it, like I told you that uh, my mom's boyfriend showed me how to poke a tattoo into myself yeah. with you know India ink and a needle, and you got to you know put something up near the tip of the needle to have a drop of ink. And, all that stuff was shown to me when I was little. So I never really thought of tattoos as being something out of the ordinary, even kid. It just never was on the other side of the fence from me. It was always just normal. I didn't find out until, like, I was eight years old. And um, I used to do, I used to get, like, $10 or $15 to do, uh, like, birthday parties where I would set up a little tattoo booth, a fake tattoo booth when I was seven, eight years old, and I would draw on the kids. So it'd be like a bunch of six-year-olds or five-year-olds, and I'm thinking, like, I'm really old, <laughs> but I'm only two, three years older than them. But I would draw, you know, butterflies on girls. I would draw ships or anchors on boys. And it was funny because I can remember, like, the kids lined up waiting for me to draw something on them. You know, it'd be like six, seven, eight kids, and the mom's saying, um, Come on, you guys! It's time for the birthday cake, and they they wouldn't all run in to get the cake. They would stay there for me to draw on them <laughs> first. So it, it was it was fun. But I found out then 
that um, some parents did not like me drawing on their kids. <laughs> so uh, literally my parents ended up just getting yelled at like crazy from some of the neighborhood parents that I, you know, I heard that they were saying it's disgusting and all this stuff about my parents letting me uh, draw tattoos and be interested in tattoos. And I'm, I'm uh, just a disgusting, it's, you know, it was weird, but you know, I've been interested in them my whole life. And as far as tattooing, uh, full time. I didn't start tattooing full time until 1994. I was always just tattooing, mm -hmm. but not as not as a job. It just was. I don't know why. Um, I almost opened a tattoo shop when I lived in Florida in 1986. My um, family that I was living with in Florida, they wanted to, um, you know open a tattoo shop for me, you know, mm -hmm. bark tattoos or whatever. But I don't know. It just never was. It was just something that I enjoyed doing sometimes, and that was about it. And then uh, when I got married to my first wife, Holly, mm -hmm. um, it was like, what am I going to do for the rest of, you know, my life for actually raising children, college, and all that? Um, I did have a good full-time job. I was getting $18 an hour in the 1980s. I uh, worked in a print um, house uh, where you, we did like um, you know, kind of small billboard stuff, printing um, from negatives. We used to work for like anything from Disneyland to Burger King, you know, just big photo murals and stuff. And I was managing the color department in there and making good money, but at that time, it was all from film, you know, regular cameras with film, nothing digital. But when digital started to come in, um, our business just started disappearing, like around 1989, it started disappearing. And uh, that's when I started realizing, like, I'm not going to have a job in fucking three years I'm not going to be able to do this is not as a career this is not gonna not gonna work it's disappearing and um, so even though I was tattooing I didn't really think of it as tattoos and I don't even remember how it came about like really started thinking about it seriously I think just more and more people just started saying you should get a job at a tattoo shop and um, that's that's how, I don't know, that's how it just became more serious. Yeah. But as far as, you know, before that, like back in the late 70s, early 80s, I was tattooing, um, you know, maybe two, three, four people a month. That's like it, you know? It was just a yeah. fun thing. Friends knew I could tattoo. And, and then if anybody wanted something that was above my head, then I would take it to my friends, Mike Brown. Or Mark Mahoney, yeah. or even you know Fat George. I knew Fat George before Mike Brown. I knew Mike Brown before Mark Mahoney, and then I knew Mark Mahoney um, the best. Basically, he's the one that really helped me out. Uh, Mike Brown showed me how to tattoo by hand and how to make tattoo groupings and needles, how to make inks, uh, black and grays, make ink and 
uh, things like that. And then Mark Mahoney, he really helped me out more artistically and start understanding, like, by hand, I should stick with the graphics, which is what we call tribal now. Anything black <laughs> without shading is now called tribal, but I used to just, you know, illustration or graphics. And, and then when somebody wanted something realistic, like portraiture, then took it to Mark. But I don't know, I've always drawn tattoos. And then Mark is the one that uh, sent me to Rick. And then Rick is the one that taught me how to be a professional tattooer. He's the one that he taught me how to be, how to act even professional. You know what I mean? There's a difference between being a cool cat and tattooing for a living, which I think mixes a lot of younger people up because they think being a tattooer is being a cool cat. But then all of a sudden they don't want to tattoo after five years because they never became cool. (laughs) You know, it is, it is a job. It's a good job if you do it right and if you think about it right. But I think I drifted there. (laughs) Well, you end up up meeting up with Rick and uh, he taught you. You were with those guys in the Burt Grimm family for quite a few years. Yeah, um, he did not, I was not his apprentice. I was not one of his boys. I was not one of the people that called him Papa. I was the guy that, to be honest, he had guys working at his shop that had paid him thousands of dollars to um, learn to tattoo. You know, it's like a college course. You don't get hooked up for fucking free. And if you don't got money, then you're going to work it off one way. That's where people hear about the apprenticeships that people, you know, had to scrub floors and clean up blood and stuff. That's because that guy wasn't paying money, mm-hmm. cash. He was, paying, he was paying money in dues, you know. He was doing favors. And sometimes favors outside the shop. That's how a lot of people had to pay for their tattoo apprenticeships. But mine was different. I um, I don't. It was a favor. Um, I don't know what. I I never got a straight answer. What did Rick owe Mark? Because Mark asked Rick to teach me. Mark asked Rick to teach me, and Rick taught me. But as a friend, because I was already tattooing for a decade, more than a decade, you know what I mean? I was already tattooing, so I already knew, uh, I don't know, I was I was favored in, I was grandfathered in. So, so the guys that paid Rick, they're working there. Well, Rick didn't want any fucking bullshit from them for him teaching me for free. And he taught them for pay. You know what I mean? Yeah. A couple of those guys, they 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 didn't get taught for like two years. They're cleaning the floors for a year or two before they're taught, and then you're taught. You know. And by that time, you should already fucking know the thing. But nonetheless, it, it was different for me. And um, you know, that's one thing that's always been really special to me. And um, I really, I don't know, oh, owed. Oh, Rick, my professional career because he did. He um, he taught me how to tattoo. Um, I always would come down to the shop uh, around one o'clock. I would work at my regular day job from like five, four or five in the morning until noon, and then I would go hang out with Rick from about one o'clock till about 
three or four o'clock, depending on what time the night crew came in and who was coming in. Because if somebody was coming in, you know, that had paid him money, Rick didn't want me there, um, you know, hanging out like he was teaching me because he didn't want to hear the earful of their bullshit. That's the way he was, you know what I mean? I don't want to hear their fucking bullshit between me and you. But, yeah, that's that's basically how I became a professional tattooer. But it's a trip. I've been tattooing ever since I was a little kid. I was tattooing before I should have. Yeah, I've never, you know? <laughs> I, I honestly, I've never heard that before, like such a young child. Like, I mean, myself, my dad was pretty tattooed. They were very, like, similar to what you're talking about. Like, it was normal to see somebody with a bunch of tattoos. It wasn't, hey, look at that guy over there. Like, because it wasn't the norm for everyone to have them like it is now. Yeah. So. Yeah. In the 1960s, it was, it was normal for me until I found out that people didn't like them. Mm. That. Just, I don't know, and that, and I even had I even had friends that you know um, the subject of tattoos would come up in our you know early friendship, and they would say something snide about it. So I would never even say that I'm into them. You know what I mean? They knew I had a couple of tattoos, but they just were like those are stupid that kind of attitude. So I had some friends where I was real open about art and tattooing, and I had some friends where. I I didn't, you know, want to get disrespected, so I didn't even bring it up. Mm-hmm. So some of my friends didn't even know that I poked tattoos and friends. <laughs> kind of a trip, you know. I had one friend um, maybe, well, about 15 years ago, the, the, the TV show, Inc., yeah. that I was on. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I had one friend that got a hold of me, and he's all, what's all this tattoo stuff? And I, uh, I, I go, I know, it's, 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 uh, it's awesome, isn't it? And he goes, well, I don't understand why you got into that. And I go, I was into it before I ever even knew you. And he goes, well, you never talked about it with me. <laughs> I go, yeah, the fucking time I did talk about it with you, you were kind of a dick. So. <laughs> it just, that was the way it was, you know? So it, it was, you know, a time when tattoos were thought as, you know, more along the lines of you're, you're, you're wearing a, flag, you're trying to get fucking in fight, you know, the shock factor tattoos, just, I don't know, it's just a whole different, different world, I, I even, you know, when I was like 15, 16 years old, I got beat up for having a tattoo, um, in a fucking bathroom one time, I was at a pizza joint, and, uh, this guy goes, who you think you're rolling with, and I go, what do you mean? And he goes, who the fuck you rolling with? And I go, nobody, man. And he goes, what you fucking wearing that for, man? And I'm like, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And, but that was the basic thing. Was like, it was kind of like that. Those were the flags that you wore, um, you know, in the underground. Me, I was, you know, just I wasn't marked by. Gang or anything like that. It just was different for me. I just grew up around it as normal. I mean, you've been you've been around it and seen it for so long. How do you feel about the uh, the progression or the state of where tat- tattooing or the people who are getting tattooed are now? I mean, I mean, yeah, it's different. I started seeing it really change when, let's say, maybe more along the lines of color portraiture, maybe like Carrie Barba mm-hmm. yeah. doing color portraiture in the early 80s, mid-80s, 
like that changed everything. Um, even Paul Rogers was like tripped out by you know her doing those realistic color mm -hmm. portraits. And even though you know that she was still learning as she was doing them, so you know she did end up redoing them later because you can't put them in as soft as you can black and gray. But nobody knew that until she started doing it. And then people started seeing tattoos that didn't look like tattoos. So this whole fucking world of, like, I never liked tattoos until I saw those. And I'm like, yeah, but those don't look like tattoos. Mm -hmm. But that's what made it easier for, I think, the, the fucking general public to start kind of swooping in. And so the whole, like, uh, you know, well... I don't like the old-looking tattoos. I like the new tattoos. Yeah. That, that's when it started changing. So people were able to, like, fantasy, get fantasy, you know, storybook art tattooed on them now and mm -hmm. stuff. And it opened up the world um, for, well, basically it opened up the world for tattooers to make more money. And until it got oversaturated, it was awesome, you know? Because more and more people started getting tattooed, and uh, that was awesome. But then it started turning into the the clients started turning into the tattooers, you know? and that changed things a lot. One thing I like now, though, is the good artists. You know, there's a lot of good artists, mm -hmm. and people are able to learn about tattooing way easier than it was back in the day. You know, you can you can you can learn a lot. You have you know, when I was a teenager, the library had like one book about tattoos in it, you know? Now you've got the world library in your hand. So you can you can study tattoos a lot easier now than you could a long time ago. That's, you find that's you, awesome. Like, do you find you appreciate your? Because uh, I mean, I'm I'm guessing with uh, some of the mentors that you had, it probably wasn't just a a cakewalk as far as your uh, when you were learning, especially even to be a professional. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, I, I had a newborn baby at home. Um, I started going over to Rick's when my ex-wife was pregnant with my first son mm -hmm. and then all through that time was like a year and a half two years of going down there and there were ups and downs and, and uh, you know I even stupidly pissed Rick off a couple times but it, just like with that stuff you, you learn your lesson <laughs> and, you, uh, and you keep coming back you know that's one thing too is like I think um, a big difference between people learning now is there's a lot of young tattooers that will teach people to tattoo or they'll say they know how to teach but they don't you know it's almost like friends giving friends permission to be a tattooer instead of people learning how to tattoo so there's a big difference in learning to tattoo like I remember one time uh, Rick finished a tattoo with a guy and uh, <laughs> That's what I did was, you know, watch him tattoo. And then he would, you know, the guy would be sitting there and he'd go, now watch this part. This is how you, you go around the curve. Or mm -hmm. Watch how I do the eight-inch line. That's the way I learned with 
with Rick as he was tattooing. And, um, and, uh, oh, fuck, I forgot the, the train of, my train of thought just fucking slipped. Oh, okay, so this guy was getting tattooed. When he finished, Rick went in the back room to get something. Um, maybe an aftercare thing or something. But that guy asked me how he should take care of it. And then when Rick came back into the shop, um, it, had a back, it had a back room. So he was in the back room. When he came back in, out of the back room, and I was telling his client how to fucking take care of a tattoo that he did, I learned my lesson that day. That you don't fucking, you, you don't fucking tell someone up clients nothing. You know that's fucking not your place. And, and uh, I remember what the back of Rick's hand felt like. <laughs> you, don't, you don't fucking, you don't tell my fucking clients what to fucking do. And um, I think that was like a, almost the end of a rope right there too. Because uh, he didn't. He, he told me I don't want to fucking see you again until I call you. And he didn't call me for a couple of weeks. I thought that that might have been it. He was mad enough to fucking backhand me, and he was mad enough to fucking tell me to fucking go home and wait. And, um, but that's the thing, too. It's like I think a lot of people now, the thing is, I, I remember I'm, I'm 56, 56 years old, 57. I'm 57 years old this year. <laughs> and um, I remember that, you know? Um and and it was not it was a lesson learned. Like, you know, you get you get a spark on you from welding and you'll remember like what you were do what what that lesson was for the rest of your fucking life, you know? These little things, these abrupt, startling things, um were not to be funny and we're not to be like military or not to act like Marines going through fucking anything. It wasn't meant to be that. It was literally, you know, to be honest, men being men. It's like, don't fuck around with my fucking money. Don't fuck around with my business. And um, if you need to remember something and the guy hurts your fucking feelings or something like that, um, and then you're like, well, fuck that. I don't need my feelings hurt. So I'm not going to go back there again. Well, there, it's over. And that's your own fucking fault. So that type of thing, you know, like, he didn't do things like that all the fucking time, but he did things like that, you know, backhand dealer. Do you find it made you, uh, I know some people might listen to this and think, hey, that's that's not right, but that's just how things things were dealt with. Yeah, I know, I've heard people point. say, like, they would have called the cops, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It was, <laughs> it was like, well, back then, too, it's like, if, you know, when I was a teenager, or even younger, we'd get, you know, in a fight. You'd get in a fight with a friend or you'd get in a fight with somebody and nobody acted like that person needed to die. Nobody acted like it was the fucking most dramatic thing in the fucking world. And to be honest, you both had respect for each other afterwards because neither one of you were fucking pussies. And that's a big difference. Now it's like, now you're not allowed to touch anybody and they're allowed to call the police and then there's all these fucking, you know, like, I don't know, spoiled people because of it, but the problem is, or the bummer, not a problem, it's just different, you know, but the, the bummer is that it's lost. Things like that are lost because, you know, people don't know, don't know what to make of it. And then there's the other hand where there are the, the people that, sh that should not be in charge of other people, and they take abuse to the fucking, you know, 
they do it wrong. That's like you never send your child out of anger. You know, that was that was the way I was raised. I was never spanked out of anger. I was spanked and told, don't go in the street again. That car almost hit you, and you get a smack on your butt. And I remember it. It was like that little shocking moment <laughs> was re- remembered by a person, and then that was a teaching tool back then. You find a lot the of wrong people, the wrong people teaching. You know, like if someone's acting out of anger, that doesn't teach anybody anything, and that guy's a motherfucker. You know, so there's a difference between, you know, like I guess getting fucking smacked by one guy and then get smacked by another. It's like one of the guys has fucking issues since he was a kid, and the other one just fucking teaching you to remember something. You find a lot of those uh, uh, tough love that Rick gave you. You find they shape you into a, not just the tattoo where you are, the tattoo where you are, yeah. but uh, kind of like the, the person you are as far as how you yeah. conduct yourself with your tattoo yeah. business. Yes, and even even Mark Mahoney before Rick. I mean, I hung out with Mark for like years. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him when he was at the Rose Tattoo, and that was at the Pike. As well, you know, Bert Grimms was at the bike, but there was like six other shops down there. And uh, the Shaws, they owned the Rose Tattoo as well as Bert Grimms. Mm-hmm. So Mark worked at the Rose Tattoo, and that's where I met him. Um, friend Mike Roach introduced me to him back in the 1980, maybe it was, maybe 79, I don't know. Yeah. I, I had met Mike Brown before that, though. And those, those guys, they, um, and they, they did, they shaped me. Um, patience, a lot of patience is, is something that I've realized is difficult for a lot of people. And, um, I'm real grateful that I kind of learned that without even knowing it, you know, there's a lot of things that shaped my personality and from tattooing. I mean, myself personally, I came across your, uh, your tattoos it was probably 20 years ago somewhere I, I just remember one of the magazines yeah I remember seeing you and then I think it was the mid 2000s I think I was uh, I think it was when I was in the Navy I was at sea and I remember uh, the ink came on and I'm like holy fuck that's the guy just because at that point I didn't know names and who's who I just knew who I liked and whose work I appreciated and, uh, yeah, it's easy to remember the guy with the one eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's okay. Yeah, I did. I got I got a lot of people that were, like, you know, they remembered me from magazines. They don't even know my name. And then, yeah, it's like the one-eyed guy that tattoos. Oh, I, <laughs> I just always appreciated your work. And uh, when I, especially, when, like I said, we were at sea, and I remember being like, hey, turn that back. And uh and we watched it, and I remember there was Rick was on there too, and I'm like, holy fuck, that's the, you know, I've always uh, always loved work, Rick's work too, and Thomas Pendleton, and 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 those types. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite episodes where um, I was alert, you know, when I was allowed to basically involve my family and Rick. You know, it was like they chose the people to be on the TV show, and then, mm-hmm. then they tried to separate us. And, that became a bit of a problem, so we started getting with the producers, and each one of us started being allowed to talk about ideas. So I wanted to, 
I wanted to show people, you know, the world that I came from, basically. And that was awesome that they did. They filmed a couple of episodes specifically for me, and that was nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I remember. I remember them all. I'm pretty sure I had the box set of it, and I was uh, a, right big, a big fan of uh, And I think it really opened the eyes to a lot of people who didn't know anything about tattooing or how, how business was conducted. And uh, I think stuff yeah. like that kind of brought it to the forefront. And like you said, it's now... I, I remember hearing even from a lot of tattooers, like, you guys are fucking assholes for making Dizzle tattoo himself before he tattoos someone else. And I was, I was always, like, raised, like, if you don't, you know, if, you, if you're not willing to tattoo yourself, why the fuck do you think you should be allowed to tattoo other people? Exactly. But that's where the light came from. And then I got these other people, like, telling me, like, that's fucking cruel, man. Like, I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know that there was, that it, that was, like, one of the first changes I started realizing, <laughs> like, oh, things are changing. Well, I'm not going to keep you too much longer here, because I know uh, you have a, a family and whatnot, but I do want to, uh, I do want to thank you for, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people think everyone has lots of time, but like you said, there's lots of tasks around your house you're trying to get done, and uh, I greatly yeah. appreciate your time, and, and I appreciate you, so. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate people like you. And, I, and my reasoning for, uh, for doing this podcast is honestly, I've loved tattoos my whole life as well. My dad had them. There was Hell's Angels in my kitchen holding me as a baby, and I used yeah. to I used to see them come and go, and I thought they were wonderful. And and I was of an age to get tattooed. Unfortunately, I let my dad tattoo me while we were drunk. Kind of needle. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have it. It's kind of covered. You can still see it. And most tattooers say they wouldn't want to cover it fully. Right. It's too great of a story. So. It's a, it's yeah, a, it's a memory. Yeah, exactly. It's but uh, but uh, I'm doing this to uh, just for people who are interested in the culture and uh, and some of the history of it that uh, gentlemen like yourself yeah. are able to uh, to share. So I really uh, I really appreciate it, and I I truly wish you all the best after this and uh, and during this for you and your family, so that uh, you guys stay safe and uh, come out of this uh, healthy and getting right back at her and enjoying your uh, your uh, beautiful tattoo career you have. So. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, man, and I, and I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, so I'll, I'll uh, let you get back to, to business, and then you enjoy your family and the rest of your day. Oh, thank you, man, and you too. You Th too. Thanks, Clark. I appreciate it, buddy, and take care. Okay, bye. Cheers. That was episode 8 of Rose and Dagger Podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed, and I have to say it was a real treat to speak to Clark. I've been admiring his work for many years. It was also a real pleasure to have the opportunity to speak about his mentors and who have molded him into the true professional that he is these, these days. Uh, Rick Walters, Mark Mahoney, these are some of the guys that I followed their work since I was a teenager. So to even uh, have the opportunity to hear stories firsthand was a real honor. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I know things are a little crazy right now with these uncertain times, but uh, everybody stay safe and healthy. And I hope you tune in for the next episode. So cheers. <laughs>